Well, to be honest with you, this, this was a difficult week of sermon preparation. Normally, kind of, I really enjoy my sermon preparation time. This was a tricky week, and I think what made it really tricky is I didn't have any idea what my message was going to be like until Friday afternoon. Normally by Tuesday morning, I'm pretty solid. I know what my message is going to be like. It's usually by Tuesday morning, I've been praying enough that I kind of sense the direction that God is going to be taking me for the message. And then it just kind of keeps increasing throughout the week. But this week by Tuesday morning, I really wasn't totally sure. And then on Wednesday morning, I wasn't really sure. And Thursday morning, I wasn't really sure. And Friday morning, I wasn't really sure. So I actually had three drafts of various messages that I was putting together during the week. I, was gonna, I had one message was on Nehemiah 8, and then I was in Jeremiah, and then I ended up in Luke. And so I had three different messages. I wasn't sure. It's kind of frustrating for me because normally I really have a solid sense of where my message is going to go. So it made me a little bit nervous and it was a little bit awkward. And to top it off, during the week on, on um, Tuesday, uh, the school where Sam and Trey go to, their chaplain called me up and asked if I would do chapel for tomorrow. And so I thought, well, how can I do chapel? I don't even know what I'm going to preach on Sunday. And how can I prepare another message on top of that to give on Monday? So I thought, well, I better pray about it before I do. So when I need to think and pray really hard, I need to go outside. So I went on a bike ride for about an hour. And I came home and I knew exactly what my chapel message would be on. I mean, it was almost like word for word. I could have got off my bike, took a shower, went to their school, and gave the message completely. It was just so solid in me. But I still had no idea where my message was going to go on Sunday. So I am keep plugging away, keep praying away. And so by Friday, it was one o'clock and I'm reviewing everything that I'd written. And I'm like, this is, this is all wrong. None of this makes sense. None of this is really going to apply. And so, you know, I, I seriously, this is what I did. I got out my phone and I looked in the weather report and I thought maybe that snowstorm will come Saturday night and church will be canceled on Sunday morning. I thought that's my only hope right now is church is canceled. Then I thought you would all expect me to do a sermon from home because we do live streaming now. Then I actually thought, well, we don't have all the equipment at home, so maybe I could get out of it. But then I realized you got an iPhone, you can about do anything these days. So it's 1 o'clock Friday, I don't know what I'm going to do, so finally I thought, well, go talk to Becky. So I said to Becky, I said, I, I have no idea what I'm going to do. And she calmly reminded me, she said, well, don't you remember on Monday I said, I think you should do a message on James 1. And I told her on Monday, I said, I can't do a message on James 1. That's kind of what I did on our Christmas Eve service. That's what I did the Sunday, the last Sunday of the year. I talked about James 1. And she's like, I really think you need to go back there and do that and, and pull some of that message again. And I thought, well, I'm not going to do that. That's kind of cheating, you know? I can't like, it's only been four weeks. I can't reuse the sermon already. And she's like, no, I think you need to. So I thought, all right, well, what else have I got? So it's Friday afternoon and I start working on a message about James 1. And I, I know that look when Becky tells me something, like she's right on. So I knew she was right on, but yet I really totally wasn't convinced. Until about Saturday morning, I got up early and I was working on the message and I thought, yeah, this is really right on. I'm going to talk today about James 1, verses 1 through 4. And this will be the third time, yeah, third time I've talked about these verses in probably the last four weeks. And I think this repetition is important. I think it's a good idea to be going to James 1 again. And I think these verses in James 1 are very strategic for us as individuals and as a community 
as we navigate together going through 2021. And I think like the verse I read in the opening from Luke where Jesus came alongside the disciples and explained the scripture to them. I think God's going to be doing that to us with these verses throughout this year. That he'll come alongside each of us and say, hey, I want to explain that to you. How that's going to apply to your life. So I think these are very strategic verses for each of us. And so I'm going to repeat some of what was in my Christmas Eve message. But I think it's important. And I'm just trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to each of us today to show us how does this relate to our life and to our situation. So let me start out by reading James 1, verse 1 through 4. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. That's a good four little verses. I love how James opens up this book. Verse number one. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. That's interesting how James begins this letter. See, normally back in that first century culture, if you were going to write a letter to somebody, you would start by first identifying who you really are. And maybe to tell people why they should listen to you. Maybe sort of flaunt your pedigree or why people should listen to you. James does none of that. I mean, you know in our American culture, what we do is if somebody writes an article or a book, way at the end it will say the author's name and it might say what school they went to or what experience that they have that you should listen to them. I mean, how many times you read advice and maybe some uh, internet advice on health and then you look at the end and you know, they don't even know if the person really went to med school. So you really don't, maybe not going to listen to them or maybe they'll tell you or they work at some place. They say, okay, there's a reason I'll listen to that person. James doesn't do that. We don't even know exactly what James this is. There's five James in the New Testament. We're not even sure, is this James the apostle? Is this James the brother of Jesus? Or one of the other three James? Now, most scholars will agree this is James, the brother of Jesus, that's talking in this book. But it's interesting, he doesn't tell us that detail. Because you think he would say to us, I am James, the brother of Jesus. I remember when Jesus was five years old. I remember on Jesus' 10th birthday. Kind of tell us why we should listen to him. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, I'm James and I'm friends with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so hey, listen to me. He doesn't do that. All he says is, I'm James. And I'm a servant of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, for James, that's all you need to know about him. You need to know the fact that he is a servant of God. That's his whole resume. See, James wants you to know that all there is to know about James is that he's a servant of God. Because James is going to tell you some information in this book that's not going to make a whole lot of sense if you're not a follower of Jesus. You could easily look at this book and say, that's not really good advice. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But James says to you, yeah, it makes a whole lot of sense when you are a servant of Jesus and God. And it's a good thing James says that because one of the very first instructions that James is going to give is count it all joy when you face various trials. Right away there, you're like, that doesn't make any sense. 
But James is saying, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a servant of Jesus, that is going to make good sense. And see, this is a tough book. Because who is this book written to? It's written to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. 12 tribes, that's referring to Israel. James is saying, this is for all of you Jewish people who are now followers of Jesus, and you have been scattered among the nations because you've been persecuted. You were all living in your nice little villages in Jerusalem and other parts of the land, but when you became a Christian, your families rejected you and they kicked you out of your homes. And so he says, you've been scattered among the nations. This is a group of people who they're probably wondering, why am I really following Jesus? Because my life seemed to be a little bit easier before Jesus. Suddenly I'm following Jesus and I'm kicked out of my family zone. I'm kicked out of my friend's community. But isn't it interesting? The verse that they used to say they were scattered among the nations, that's scattered, that's the same word that you would use to say scattering seeds. You could actually say to the 12 tribes that were scattered like seeds throughout the nations. That's kind of an interesting. Sometimes we look at that persecution and say, that's terrible, that's wrong. But what did it do to these early followers of Jesus? It scattered them like seeds. See, James has a specific goal to this early church. He wants them to understand that their various trials... There's a purpose to them. And the bigger purpose to your trials is that it is going to produce stability. James wants the reader to know that the hardships they face, that the difficulties that they face, that the persecution that they face in their life is for a reason. So James right, jumps right into the deep end with his letter, and the first thing he says in verse 3 is, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of various kinds. It's kind of hard to read that. How am I supposed to consider my trial pure joy? That's not my natural reaction. But I'll tell you what, I think the readers of this letter in the first century, when they got that letter, I think they're encouraged. I think they read it in a different way that many of us read that letter. I think for many of them, when they read that letter, that was more of a promise from God than just a, another instruction for what they were supposed to do in their life. It's a pretty encouraging verse, and I think the very first thing that's encouraging is the word various or the word many when it talks about trials. He says, count it all joy when you meet various trials. See that word various in Greek? It means various. It means many different kinds. See, James isn't limiting to a trial that's one of those front page headline trials that you hear, a, a front, a front page like difficulty that you would he have in your life. He's saying anything in your life. It might be really small. It might be really big. It could be somewhere in the middle. James saying all of those count. If it's difficult for you, it's a various trial. If it's hard for you, it's a various trial. See, you know what we do in our culture sometimes? Sometimes we feel like, well, well, my various trial is it's kind of insignificant. I'm not going to bring it up. You've been in a prayer meeting like that where, you know, you're going around and saying, okay, give me your prayer request. And I'm thinking, well, I'll have you pray for me. My, my knee's a little sore. But then the other person's talking about a 
quadruple bypass surgery that they're going through. And another person talks about they know somebody who died and you're like, well, I'm not going to bring up my little knee pain. That seems kind of insignificant at the moment. But James is saying, don't do that. Don't discount what is hard in your life or what's a trial in your life. He says, bring it all to the table. Let's talk about everything. He's saying, don't discount yourself because you think, well, my situation, that's not that bad because, well, look what that person's dealing with. James saying, don't do that. He's saying, bring everything to the table because all of your trials, all of them are important to God because God wants to do something very significant about your trial. God wants to do something for you through those trials. So don't, don't limit God by saying your trial is insignificant. And then James goes, he says, consider it all joy. That's hard instruction. How do I consider it pure joy when you're talking to a person who maybe is the person looking at quadruple bypass surgery to say, hey, consider it pure joy? That's kind of seems insensitive to say, or what do you say to a person who maybe lost a family member to suicide? It'd be hard to look at them and say, well, consider it pure joy. That seems kind of insensitive. It doesn't seem very kind. It doesn't seem very compassionate. It doesn't seem very pastoral. It doesn't seem like something Jesus would do. See, I think sometimes when we read those verses, we're not sure what that really means. So I think we come away with, well, maybe he's saying just ignore your problems or ignore your challenges because how could I count something like a death out of season as pure joy? So I think sometimes we make the wrong conclusion in this verse. We think that, the, or that James is saying to us, well, just, just ignore it. Pretend it's not there. Don't dwell on it. Don't talk about it too much. Just kind of ignore it. But again, that just seems kind of insensitive. Instead, there's a big, deeper meaning to this verse. So you really jump a little deeper into this verse. It is a verse of compassion. See, this verse is really a promise from God. It's not just an instruction for us to count it all joy. It's a promise that God is going to bring joy to your life in the midst of some of the most difficult circumstances in your life. See, I used to read this verse as kind of another command, something you do when life is hard. I see it in a different way. I think this verse is more of a promise from God about what God wants you to do what God wants to do in your life in the midst of a lot of hard circumstances. See, when God says, or when, um, when James says, consider it pure joy, see, the Greek word for consider is a Greek word that means to count. It's a Greek word that means to do the accounting. See, another definition of this word is also, it's, it's a military term, but it also means it's an accounting term. And the accounting term means to add it all up. So what James is saying when he says, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face various trials, he's saying, add up all your trials. Add them all up. And it's going to equal out to pure joy. All right, we'll do that. Write down all of your trials, all of your temptations, all your difficulties, all your challenges. Write them all down like an accountant would do when they're adding up numbers. And then James says at the end, then, then it's going to be pure joy. Well, 
That didn't work. If I add up all the difficulties in my life, all the challenges in my life, it's going to be a negative number. So how am I supposed to count it all joy if I add up all my difficulties and it's a negative number? Well, see, it's an accounting term. So you know all good accountants, you have two columns. You have to have your debits and you have to have your credits. So on the one list, you list all the hard things. Then you need to make a list of all the good things that God's doing in your life. You need to make a list of all the things that God is doing in your life to bless you, to encourage you. You need to write on that column all the ways that God is helping you, all the ways that God is getting you through difficulties, all the little surprises that God does in your life that you weren't ever expecting or hoping for or wishing for. And suddenly you're like, wow, that just happened. I never even prayed for it. Write that down on that list of all the good things that God does. Write all the ways that God has been faithful to you. Write down the ways that God has provided for you. Write down the ways that God's encouraged you in the midst of a hard situation. Some people, we call that a gratitude list or a grateful list. He's saying write it all down and then add it all up. See, you add up all those difficulties, that's a big number. But see, that's where the promise is in the scripture where it says, now you add up all the joy side, and you're going to see you have more joy than you have more difficulties. That's why you can count it pure joy. Not because you're ignoring the sorrows in your life. Not because you're discounting all the hurt and hard things in your life. Because you're going to add up that joy column, and you're going to see the net in your life is pure joy. You have more joy than sorrow. That's what James is saying. Don't ignore the hard things in your life. Add them up. But also add up all the good things in your life. And see, that's just encouraging. It's encouraging that you would add them all up. It's encouraging. God doesn't say ignore them. He says add them up. If you're going to add up something, well, you've got to know what's there. God isn't saying hide your pain. Don't talk about your pain. He's saying add it all up. See, I know when some of you would write down your list of difficult things, there's a lot. Even some of you right now are facing financial challenges. Some of you might be facing job challenges. Some of you are in school and you're wondering, what am I going to do after I graduate? Some of you are living in family situations where there's, there needs to be reconciliation and there hasn't been reconciliation. Sometimes you're struggling as a person. You're not sure who you are or what you're supposed to do or what God's doing. You're just kind of confused. And you look and you say, oh my, my sorrow column seems pretty significant. But see, that's God's promise that James is talking about. When you're a follower of Jesus, when you're a servant of Jesus, God always promises that your joy column is going to be greater than your sorrow column that's what james is talking about that's why he says various trials he's saying every one of them he's not saying don't leave anything off that hard difficult list put everything on there don't ignore any of it because he's promising you that you will always have more joy in your life than you will ever have any sorrow. 
See, that's encouraging too that Jesus says, or James telling us to write it all down because you know what? If I'm going to write it down and remember it, that means God's remembering my difficult list. Because he said I'm going to have more joy. Well, then it's up to him to lead me in that pathway so I do have more joy. See, there's nothing I can do to get a bigger joy column. There's nothing I can say to any of you that are going through a really hard season to really have it be measurable joy. Maybe I can say something encouraging. Hopefully God would use my words to encourage you and to bring encouragement. But overall, there's nothing I can really do that you have significant joy that's only what God can do and if God says to you you're going to have more joy then it's up to him this is his faithfulness in the promise saying oh, I'm going to lead you in that pathway be like James be my servant I'll lead you in this place that you're going to be surprised by that math that we're going to do see how that's encouraging see how that's a promise that's not just a command to add it all up and to pretend that, oh yeah, life is great when it's not. No, that's God saying, I'm faithful and I don't lie. You keep track of it, I'll keep track of it and I'll show you that you're going to have more joy. I love this quote by Tim Keller. With walking with God in pain and suffering, Tim says, while other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joy, let me start again. While other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrows. That's what happens if you don't follow Jesus. But he says, and Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of the world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. Isn't that a good quote? That's what Tim Tallers is saying. Look, as a Christian, you can be sitting in the midst of that difficult column, knowing that joy's coming. That's the promise that we have in the scripture. Joy's coming. It might be difficult. It might be hard. It might be going, wait a minute, I'm not sure this accounting's going to work out. But it's a guarantee from God the accounting's going to work out. And then James goes on, he says, I want to give you a different perspective too on your various trials. He says that trials test our faith. You know, in verse 3 it says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So James is saying to these scattered seeds all through the Roman Empire, he's saying, yeah, what you're going through, it's going to produce some perseverance in you. He says it's going to be a good thing. See, we look at that and we're like, testing? I don't like testing. Nobody likes testing. We think back to school. But James isn't talking about a testing that God's going to test and say, oh yeah, you don't measure up. He's talking about a testing, about testing metals. And see, when you test metals, you bring them through this process that you heat them up and in the process, impurities are removed from metal so they become stronger. In order for, an, uh, and, and what happens is the impurities are removed from a metal, they become stronger because they have more integrity. See, so you remove the impurities of metal, and your metal has more integrity. That's what James says that's going on right now. He says, this is strategic what God's doing to y'all. 
This isn't just some random test to make you feel like you don't measure up, you're not good. He says, no, this God is putting you through this test right now to remove impurities of your life, to give you more integrity. That's comforting. See, that's another promise of what God's saying here. Um, yeah, this testing is going to produce perseverance. That's God's promise to you. I will produce perseverance in your life. Because you know what? I can't produce perseverance in my life on my own. It's not going to happen. If I could produce perseverance in my life, I wouldn't need to go through testing. If I could produce integrity in my life, I wouldn't need Jesus. If I could produce integrity and wholeness and righteousness, I really wouldn't need Jesus. But I need Jesus because I can't produce integrity on my own. So James is just saying to the people, look, God's doing something really big in your life. I know you're probably frustrated and you're upset because you're scattered around, but don't, don't be intimidated right now because God is producing perseverance in you right now. See, but what normally happens when we encounter a little trial or a testing, what do we normally do? We so often think, oh no, what's wrong with me? What did I do? What did I do wrong to deserve this? Maybe God doesn't like me anymore. Maybe God is mad at me right now. We kind of go through that cycle when a trial hits and we get very insecure about our life and our relationship with God and sometimes we get to that place where like, maybe God just doesn't love me anymore. And that's exactly the place that Satan wants each of us to get to. That place that we say, I don't know if God loves me anymore. He wants us to doubt our relationship with Christ because Satan knows that if we doubt our relationship with Christ, we're going to stop following him. If you think somebody doesn't love you, you're not going to follow them anymore. So James is warning us about that. See, we know that when discouragement comes our way, Proverbs talks about it, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. When I've been asking for something and praying for something, instead of getting a good result back from the doctor, I get something negative. You know it, it's, it makes the heart sick. It's discouraging. It makes you wonder, where is God? Where's God in this situation? Now the rest of Proverbs says, but when a desire is, fu- when a desire is fulfilled, it's a tree of life. Yeah, maybe when God delays what you're hoping for and you get it later, okay, I can have a tree of life. But what happens when you've been praying for something, you've been hoping for something, and it doesn't happen, and it's never going to happen? Well, that's pretty discouraging. How can anything get produced good out of that? See, how something can get produced good out of something that is very difficult is because God comes into the situation and he persuades you and he shows you what is true. So I love this passage by Paul in Romans 8, verse 38 through 39. Paul is speaking and he says, For I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels or principalities or powers or anything present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor Other created things shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what does Paul say? He says, I am persuaded. I am persuaded that God loves me. That's a pretty powerful verse considering the previous verse. What did Paul say? He said, does it mean that God no longer loves us if we have trials or we have calamity? or we are persecuted, or we're hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? Paul says, if you're facing all of those, does that mean God doesn't love you? He said, no, not at all. But how does Paul know that? It says Paul is persuaded. 
Is Paul persuaded because he's so smart? No. Paul is persuaded because God persuaded him of what is true. See, we call that divine persuasion. Where God comes into your life and he comes into your situation and you're believing something wrong and God shows you the truth and he persuades you. See, that's how you became a follower of Jesus in the first place is because God came into your life, into your situation, and he persuades you of what is true. See, God persuades you that you are a sinner. He persuades you that the wages of sin is death. And he shows you, he reveals to you that you need a Savior. And then he shows you who Jesus is in your life. That's how God persuades us of what is the truth. And God started persuading us the day we got saved, and he continues to do it our entire life. So like Paul says, I'm persuaded that nothing separates me from the love of God. That's how God persuades us. When we believe that there's something happening that isn't truthful, God persuades us. That's why sometimes we go through challenges, we go through hard things, we go through difficult things, and that God allows us to temporarily hurt We put something on that list because it hurts. We put something on that list because what we hoped for didn't happen. And it's painful and it's difficult. But God allows us to go on for a little bit because he knows that pain in our life is going to lead us to him. And like I talked about last week, it's going to lead us to, as what David said in the Psalms, that we're going to pour out our heart before God and we're going to tell him how hard those things are on the list. And as we pour our, thing, our heart out to God, we pour our heart out in lament, God listens to us. He listens to us. And then what God does is he begins to rebuild our lives by showing us how we can trust him even more. See, that process, that process of lament, it always leads to trust. See, when we go through trials, when we go through hard situations, when we go through difficulties, how do, we, how do we continue to have perseverance? It's because God is always convincing us. He's always showing us that he's going to bring joy out of any and all situations. See, trials can be hard. They can be difficult. There's a, there's a tendency, if you believe too much and if, if the enemy has told you that Jesus doesn't love you anymore, it's, it is a temptation to say, well, I'll go do my own thing. But fortunately, God comes in the situation and he persuades us. And as our faith, as he persuades us, we develop more and more perseverance in our life. And the more we rely on Jesus and the more we trust God and the more he keeps working things out in our life, we get to verse 4. Where verse 4 says, Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So that's where all these trials are taking us where all these various temptations are taking us. They're developing in us a stability. They're developing in us a maturity. They're removing impurities from our life. What they're setting in our life is integrity. And when we have all those markers, then we just move through our life with more and more perseverance. The little things don't bother us anymore. And then what happens is James says we get to that place where we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And that's where we all want to go this year. We want to finish the year saying, I've grown up some. I'm more mature. 
And I recognize I don't lack anything because I have Jesus right alongside of me. So, you know, eventually as we mature and we grow in the Lord and we, we become strong in the Lord, when hard things happen to us, when things are difficult happen to us, we can immediately say, I can count it pure joy. Not because I'm ignoring it, but because I can taste the joy that's going to come. See, if I sit, I'm going to distract all of you right now and I'm going to talk about food. If I said to you after church, we're going to go to the chop house and we're all going to get a really good ribeye and if you don't like meat, you get something else on the menu and we're going to get a baked potato. It's going to have melted butter. It's going to have sour cream. We're going to get a side of asparagus and I start talking to you about this beautiful meal at chop house. You can start to taste it. You can start to taste that meal. You're not even there. I can taste pizza anytime I think about pizza because I like it. And see, that's what James is saying. What's going to happen is you mature and you become complete. When hard, difficult things happen in your life, you can immediately taste joy coming because you've experienced God's joy so many times. And you know how refreshing it is. And you know that God is faithful, that he will keep giving you joy in the midst of that list going longer and longer difficult things. You're going to be able to taste it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He served you joy before. You can taste it again. That's why I love this passage in Luke 24. I read it last week. And so I read it again. It's such a powerful chapter were these two disciples of Jesus. They were discouraged. They were discouraged by that week where Jesus was put on a cross. They were discouraged because it wasn't supposed to happen that way. They never imagined that's how it would end. And they're walking down the road one day and they're discouraged. These two fellows, they're, they're talking about their discouraging list to each other. They're frustrated. And what does God do? He sends Jesus to them. But in a disguise. These two men didn't even recognize that it was Jesus. For some reason, in some way, God kind of hid from them who Jesus was. And Jesus walks alongside of these two guys that are, they're, they're grieving. This wasn't supposed to happen that way. And Jesus starts talking to them. And Jesus says, well, what's bothering you guys? And they look at Jesus like, well, who are you? Don't you know what happened the last week? Jesus knows everything that happened that last week. But he's asking them questions because he's trying to get out of them what's really bothering them. It's the compassion of Jesus saying, I want to listen to your trials. I want to listen to your difficulties. Tell me what's bothering you. And they start saying to Jesus, they say, well, we were following this man named Jesus and, and we, we, we thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was the Savior of the world. We thought he came here to rescue Israel. We thought he was a prophet. We thought he was a priest. We, we thought all of this about Jesus, but you know what? We ended up disappointed. Well, that's kind of interesting. Everything that they said is actually true. Jesus is the Messiah. 
And he did come to rescue Israel, and he is a prophet, and he is a teacher. But see, sometimes when things don't happen the way we anticipated or hoped for, suddenly it's so easy to doubt who Jesus really is. So what does Jesus do? He just says to him, he says, hey, you know, what you're thinking right now, that's just foolish. None of that's really true. And then Jesus opens the Bible and just says, let me explain to you what's in here. Let me walk you through here. Let me walk you through this book and I'll show you who I really am. Let me explain it to you. And these guys got really curious really fast. And suddenly when it's time for Jesus to go, or for them, this stranger who knew a lot about the Bible is about ready to leave. They're like, no, no, no. Don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. Stay here with us. And Jesus is like, nah, I gotta get going. No, 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 stay with us, stay with us. And then they say, don't come to our house. Let's have dinner together. Keep talking about this book because I, I didn't know that part. And Jesus sits down with them and as they have more fellowship with Jesus, then suddenly they realize that is Jesus. Suddenly, they realize what is true. That's what God does in our life. That's how he persuades us. When things are hard and difficult, he sets up situations to find us and start asking us questions. Hey, what's going on? And then he starts explaining the Bible to us. He starts getting up on morning a little early and he starts reading this and you're like, I don't really get this. But then Jesus starts coming in and explaining things to you that you never saw before. That's what Jesus does when you get up in the morning. You say, I'm going to read my Bible. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll help you explain this to you. We might have to sit down and have a meal together, but I'll explain it to you. And then the most beautiful thing happens when they realize it's Jesus and then he goes away. Then the disciples say to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us and explained the scriptures to us? We all want to burn. We all want passion. We all want to be followers of Jesus that are significant. We want to be that person. We want to be the person that's on fire for Jesus. We want to be the person that has bold to tell other people our story of what Jesus has done in our life. We want to be that person. And God says, well, yeah, let's do it. I'll walk alongside of you. Let me, screen, let me explain the scriptures to you. Let me sit with you. Let me turn your heart on fire. Let me teach you how to do some accounting that you can count it pure joy. Let me show you how faithful I am that I always can bring you more joy than sorrow. That's a wonderful promise to look at when we start a beginning of a new year. Let's see how God's going to do some accounting in our life. Let's see how God is going to bring us joy.
we didn't think no joy could come. Let's see, see how God can bring his joy out of hard situations. Let's see how God can bring his joy out of difficult situations. That's what we get to look forward to this year. Not sorrow, but joy. So Father, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for your promise that you can bring pure joy out of our various trials. So God, I come before you today, Lord, saying thank you. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your hope. Thank you, God, that you do walk with us on the road when we are discouraged and we are upset and we are frustrated. That you are there beside us like a good shepherd. God, I pray for everybody listening to me today, Lord, that you would set our hearts on fire. God, would you set us on fire with passion for you that we can emerge from this season, we can go through this year, and we can see our integrity increased and our, per, and our, our perseverance increased. God, help us to be steadfast this year. God, thank you for your faithfulness and for your love and your compassion. Thank you that you are the good, good shepherd, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.